I'll title this one given. And uh, I want to do communion afterwards so the worship team can join, join me. Um, we will do that song. Uh, we've been, um, well, to start off, uh, spent a lot of time around the table this weekend. <laughs> a lot, probably too much, too much time around the table. Uh, but it's good, you know, and just hanging with each other and just having a good time. And uh, oh man, hey. Uh, and so it reminds me, just being at the table reminds me of our childhood. Um, when my siblings and I were growing up, we had a, a lot of meals together as a family. Uh, life wasn't quite so crazy. And with everybody having so many things pulling at them now than it used to be. Even here, I can remember about the only thing that was ever going on in Franklin was the high school basketball game or the chorus and band were doing a concert or, you know, and that's what that's what you did. I mean, you went to the ball game and you went and that was all. But now there are so many things uh, and uh, things stacked up on each other on the weekends. And there's the call on Facebook for you to be involved in this thing and that thing and and buy this and buy that and do this and do that. And and it's really crazy. And so I'm not so sure that or I think probably it's more important to spend at least one meal a week together as a family. If you're in some type of household, maybe it's not your family family, but maybe it's friends that are close to you or something. I mean, just to have those times, you know, um, they're critical. It's why people say, hey, you want to get something to eat? You want to go out? You know, I mean. The gathering around a meal is um, really critical. I'm, for us, it, it was more often because the culture was different. So we spent many times, and there were no devices. <laughs> you know, this one. <laughs> oh, I have to stand here. <laughs> So just remind me if, if I get off. Hi. Are you there? Oh, yes, ma'am. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Did you hear that? There's a basket when you come into the dining room. Uh, or however it is, you approach your table. All the devices go in the basket. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. And the egos are hung on the hall tree. It's like that's, that's the thing about musicians. Um, anyway, uh, it's, it's, it's really crazy. Uh, somebody was telling me that they were at their friend's house playing games, board games and card games and stuff. There were several couples together, you know, just playing some games and everything. And as soon as they finished one game, everybody would grab their... So during the game, they're talking and stuff, you know, but then as soon as that's done, you know, somebody has to replenish the, the corn chips, you know, and, and, the, uh, and the, uh, the bean dip and whatever. And uh, they're back on this and then they're and then they're back talking again, actually talking and laughing and, and doing stuff. And it's like, wow, 
And so I become more aware. And I, I don't know if it was Fred. I was talking to somebody that said uh, we're we're looking down. Oh, it was Bobby Crawford. We're looking down when we should be looking up. Oh, 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 that's good. Okay, so this is not a sermon against your iPhone. Okay, you know you should have a Windows phone, but eh, anyway. <laughs> There were no devices, just us, our parents, and the food. We learned many things about life around the table. There was a perfect opportunity to learn respect. Let's think about it. Being considerate. Patience. Now, why would being at the table learn courage? Well, we were required to sit in our seats at the table without fidgeting until the last slowpoke was finished. And it didn't kill us. You know, it didn't, you know, cause us to have a wrong identity, uh, to have, you know, some type of, uh, you know, issue that we had to medicate or, you know, nothing like that. And then everyone took their own dishes to the sink and came back to the table for whatever might still be left and needed to be put away. We're all married with children and some of us went to college. And I mean, you know, it's it didn't kill us. In fact, I think it did us good. We didn't realize it at the time, but one of the most valuable things, I just wanted to throw this one in. One of the most valuable things we learned was assertiveness and active listening. How many know what that is? Okay. Assertiveness and active listening. I'd I'd love to speak with you further on that subject. It is powerful. It's liberating. It, It builds you up. It's just a really good thing if you practice it regularly. In all of your conversation and relationships. So what, what, what and how did we learn that? Well, we all had opportunity to express ourselves. Each one had opportunity to respect, to express ourselves. We weren't made fun of. And with some encouragement and coaching, even thoughts and questions were brought out. While one was talking, the rest of us listened. What? Yeah. Kathy's family was a little different. They all talked at one time, which took, <laughs> I think I'm still adjusting to that. <laughs> and I'm not saying bad because Kathy can tell you exactly what is going on in every conversation. I, on the other hand, cannot. But that was the way it was. Very difficult sometimes, but only one at a time was allowed to talk. What great life lessons learned around the table. There's a respect. There's self-control. There's learning to be interested in what the other person is doing. How they're doing. What, you know? And it it says, it just builds you up as a person. It it gives you worth. (laughs) We sang a lot about how God... Broke through all of our bondages, all of our misconceptions, all of our lack of self-worth, our 
lack of identity and gave us all the things that are good and right and healthy and whole. And he did it because he loved us and he paid a price. It wasn't like, okay, I'm just going to wave my magic wand and then everybody will be okay. No, it took the death of his son. Well, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Reckless like he invested in us when there wasn't a sure return. (laughs) God teaches his children amazingly powerful lessons around the table. Recently and for the next little while, we're looking at lessons learned at meals, reclined at tables. Stories of encounters between man and God with food somehow involved. This morning I want to talk about a few things surrounding what we call the Last Supper. There are so many lessons to be gleaned from the interaction between Jesus and his disciples. We're going to read it out of Luke and uh, some out of Luke, um, some out of Matthew. I mean, some out of John, I'm sorry. I read some out of Matthew Um, in contemporary English version. The festival of thin bread, also called Passover, was near. And it's like every major event in Jesus' life is 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 actually is the word predicated. It's 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 shadowed. It's it's been introduced to us through the feasts of the Old Testament. Every one of them has significance regarding the Savior. Passover being one, the Passover lamb, the celebration of the Passover in the um, in Egypt and all of all Jesus being the Passover lamb, the perfect lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And so you see the shadow in everything, but then Jesus comes and it's no longer the shadow. It's the reality. Even the giving of the Holy Spirit. There's so many things. Um, Some people might say, you know, just stay out of the Old Testament because it's too complicated and God kills too many people and all that. And, yeah, it's a little it's a little tough. But if, if you read it. From the standpoint of Jesus is in here. Jesus is in here. Then then it's amazing. It's hugely positive. Yeah, every challenge in the Old Testament, if you read the whole story, always ends with, If you will come to me, if you will, there is a way. You don't have to be in this state, in this situation. And even in the middle of a situation, uh, just think of too many things. Okay, I'm going to get back to the sermon. 
When I was dating Kathy, this is not the sermon. When I, I want to move. When I was dating Kathy, um, I was living up here. She was living in Fort Myers, Florida, and sometimes uh, at, at UCF in Tampa. You know, no, yeah, in Tampa, whatever. Thank you. University of South Florida. Is that right? Okay. And um, and uh, so I had a picture. I had her senior uh, portrait on my nightstand. Can you believe that? <laughs> oh, yeah. But when Kathy was at the house visiting, I didn't look at the picture. That was just a shadow. That was just a reminder. But now, yeah, I'm married to her. 41 years today. Amazing. Yeah, all the kudos go to her. (laughs) And so I no longer need the shadow. I'm glad that I had it when I had it. But now it's the real thing. Now Jesus has come. And he, we are in him and he is in us. And wow, we don't need the shadow. It's a good learning tool. Okay, so the festival is coming, which is a shadow of Jesus <clears throat> taking away the sin of the world. It's called Passover was near. The chief priests and the teachers of the law of Moses were looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. <laughs> he was messing up their deal. Because they were afraid of what the people might do. Then Satan entered the heart of Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve apostles. Jesus went to talk with the chief priests and the officers. Judas went to talk with the chief priests and the officers of the temple police about how he could help them arrest Jesus. They were very pleased and offered to pay Judas some money. Now, you don't take somebody out that's not a threat. But Jesus was the threat to the establishment. Jesus was the threat to Satan. Because he had this plan. He was going to use us to defeat the enemy. What an insult. What an insult. And he defeated the enemy on the cross. And it is finished. But he's using us as his army. Is that amazing? He's using each one of us as individuals as we believe in Jesus the Christ to no longer be slaves to fear. To be children of God. To defeat. To win. I think that's amazing. So, there's Judas. And they think they can really stop God By nailing him to a cross? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He agreed and started looking for a good chance to betray Jesus when the crowds were not around. The day had come for the festival of thin bread, and it was time to kill the Passover lambs. So isn't that interesting? So Jesus said to Peter and John, go and prepare the Passover meal for us to eat. But they asked, where do you want us to prepare? And Jesus told them, as you go into the city, you will meet a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him to the house, <laughs> to his, into the house and say to the owner, our teacher wants to know where he can eat the Passover meal with his disciples. That's pretty bold. 
The owner will take you upstairs and show you a large room ready for you to use. Prepare the meal there. And Peter and John left. And they found everything just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover meal. Lesson one. Whatever Jesus tells us, we will find that to be true. Okay, moving along. When the time came for Jesus and the apostles to eat, he said to them, have, I have very much wanted to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. <laughs> I tell you that I will not eat another Passover meal until it is finally eaten in God's kingdom. Jesus took a cup of wine in his hands and he gave thanks to God. And he told them, told the apostles, take this wine and share it with each other. Interesting. So you saw the serving. We see sharing. But it's interesting. This is not the only wine. I tell you that I will not drink any more wine until God's kingdom comes. And Jesus took some bread in his hands and he gave thanks for it. And he broke the bread and handed it to his disciples. Then he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this as a way of remembering me. And so we do this to this day. This was an important meal. I'm sure that they had eaten the Passover meal together at least three times, right? But this was different. This was different. The one who will betray me is here at... Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one. This is my body which is given for you. Eat this as a way of remembering me. In verse 20, after the meal, he took another cup... Of wine in his hands. And if you've ever done a Seder, it's very significant. Then he said, this is my blood. It is poured out for you. He had never said that before. And with it, God makes his new agreement. Woo. Yeah. The one who will betray me is here at the table with me. Now, an interesting lesson here. Jesus, how many think that Jesus knew that Judas was the one? He served Judas. All the disciples shared the wine. This is a lesson for us. We don't pick and choose the people with whom we share the good news of Jesus. We don't pick and choose the ones we serve. We don't pick and choose who we go to church with. You may think you do, but just, I mean, I don't care what church you're going to. They're not all going to be the ones you choose. I'm just telling you. But we treat everyone, we treat everyone as though they are potential believers and have hope and that they're people for whom Jesus died. Even the ones that we may know inside, and it is so hard, that are going to betray us. 
We know that they've got our, their eyes on the next cool church. You know, we know that. And yet we have to serve as though we're going to walk with them forever. Because if they're believers, guess what? We will. <laughs> but even though he knew Judas was going to betray him, he still served him. And sometimes we serve communion Probably to people who are not believers. We probably serve it to people who who are not living right. You know, but they eat and drink judgment on themselves. Which really, you know what? That's a good thing. Because once we realize we have a need, then we can respond to the Savior. But I want God judging me. I don't want you judging me. Just saying. Because he's the righteous judge, right? And he, when he judges, just like in the Old Testament, he makes a way. In fact, he made a way in Jesus. And he presents every time you're convicted about something, God is not going, you're doomed. <laughs> no, he's saying, I got away. I got away. I don't want you to suffer anymore. I don't want you. I mean, suffer in the way of being under bondage to sin. I don't want you to be there anymore. I don't want you making wrong choices. And so we served. Jesus served. Amazing. I mean, he was a solid God. Golly, he could have just gone, you know. (laughs) So interesting response here. The Son of Man will die in the way that has been decided for him, but it will be terrible for the one who betrays him. Then the apostles, watch this. Then the apostles started arguing about who would ever do such a thing. The apostles got into an argument about which one of them was the greatest. This is at the Last Supper. Oh, my goodness. I think there's a lesson there for us. (laughs) Well, they get to be on the worship team. I don't. I have to clean the church. (laughs) I'm always having to babysit. (laughs) Man, just find out what God's called you to do and then be excited about it. Just do it. I'm speaking to myself as well. So they got, which one's the greatest? Jesus told them, foreign kings order their people around, and powerful rulers call themselves everyone's friends. <laughs> but don't be like them. The most important one of you should be like the least important. And your leader should be like a servant. Man, you know, I really miss, I really miss, you know, all the gals decked out and my little red carpet rolled out from my limousine, you know, when I come in the morning, you know, I really had this vision, you know, of pastoring. <laughs> Not really. 
And the Lord wants to set us free from any of those kind of misconceptions. And he wanted the disciples to learn. But you have to, you know, I mean, they've got to be a little nervous. You know, it's just like, he said he's going to die. He says, what? What? It's like, we just won't pay attention to that. Why don't you just let us know who's going to be the greatest? <laughs> and we'll concentrate on the, on the really good stuff. Wow. But don't be like them. Most important one of you should be like the least important. And your leader should be like a servant. Who do you people think is the greatest? The person who is served or the one who serves? Isn't it the one who is served? But I have been with you as a servant. I've been with you as a servant. What a great lesson to learn around the table. There's another really cool lesson, and maybe I'll do that next week. No. No, I won't do it next week, but maybe the next week. I love it. It, it, it continues on. How are we? I can do this. So this is out of John 13, 1 through 17, contemporary English version. It was before Passover, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this, little, this world and to return to the Father. He had always loved his followers in this world, and he loved them to the very end. So important. Yeah, you have to read it in all the Gospels. It's really good. And then Paul's little short thing in Corinthians. Even before the evening meal started, the devil had made Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, decide to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that he had come from God and would go back to God. He also knew that the Father had given him complete power. So during the meal, Jesus got up. All right. When you read that, it's like, okay, man, he's going to do something really amazing. Right? I mean, you're primed. You're just like, okay. This is going to be good. This is going to be a big one. So Jesus got up, removed his outer garment, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He put some water into a large bowl. Then he began washing the disciples' feet and drying them with the towel he was wearing. It's like, come on, God, couldn't you do something a little more spectacular, like raise somebody from the dead? Or or maybe, you know... Interesting. But when he came to Simon Peter, that disciple asked, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, you don't really know what I'm doing. But later, you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter. My feet, Peter said. You'll never wash my feet, Peter said. (laughs) Oh. If I don't wash you, Jesus told him, you don't really belong to me. And Peter said, Lord, don't wash just my feet. Wash my hands and my head. Just do a complete makeover. Jesus answered, Peter said, Jesus answered, people who have bathed are clean all over and are clean all over need to wash just their feet. And you, my disciples, are clean Except for one of you. So basically, I mean, there's a lot we can learn from that. Um, The whole concept of when you become a believer, you're cleansed. Now, you walk in the world and sometimes you get a little dust on you. You might even return to a few bad habits. You know, you might might do that. 
And you need deliverance from that. We need to be washed from that. We need to be cleansed. But we are basically clean. We are born again. We are, have a new nature. All right? All right? So it was like kind of like last Sunday. Don't buy the lie. You know? Believe who Jesus said you were. But in Judah's case, Satan had entered his heart. Right? Isn't that what we read? So it's a different deal. But he wanted to wash their feet. <clears throat> and it also teaches us what servanthood looks like. Now, if Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, and he was going like, Dang, Dad, this is really a crummy job. We do that sometimes. It's like, Dang, Dad, this is a crummy job. You know? I want to be one of the greatest. Can I say that you're right? And maybe you're, I, would, I would go for left. I would, I would, I would, I would do left. <laughs> Man, Lord, change our hearts. Change our hearts. Let's be like our master. <clears throat> After Jesus had washed his disciples' feet and had put his outer garment back on, He sat down again and then he said, do you understand what I've done? You call me your teacher and Lord and you should because that is who I am. And if your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you should do the same for each other. And some people to this day have foot washing services. I've been prompted, I felt like by the Holy Spirit to wash people's feet at some of the most inopportune times, (laughs) but powerful each time, powerful. But what he's saying is, I'm the servant of all. I'm your Lord. You are a servant. You are a servant. If that's not what you signed on for, somebody sold you a bill of goods. God has a wonderful plan for your life. And he does. But sometimes we interpret that as, you know, he's going to, man, I'm going to be successful in business. I'm going to be great. And we should be. Anything we put our hands to should prosper. But it's not about that. It's about he who wants to be the greatest among you must be the servant of all. You call me your teacher, Lord, and you should, because I am. And if your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you should do the same for each other. I've set the example. Worship team, would you come up? And those serving communion. Serving communion. If you'll go to your stations. I've set the example. And you should do for each other exactly what I have done for you. I'll tell you for certain that servants are no greater than their master and messengers are no greater than the one who sent them. You know these things and you know these things and God will bless you if you do them. Later on, he instructed the disciples to go to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all that I've commanded, that I've instructed. This is what he's talking about.
Yes, if you will, if you have children here, uh, would you get them, please? And unless you want to go by yourself. <laughs>